You're listening to the First Baptist Rockdale Sunday Sermons Podcast. First Baptist Rockdale is a church dedicated to making disciples who make disciples. We hope you enjoy this week's message. So today we're going to be, it's the last book of Ecclesi- last part of Ecclesiastes. It's Ecclesiastes 12, 9 through 14. And uh, when we started this, I was glad John and Wade got the middle parts. Because the easiest parts of Ecclesiastes is like the very first section and the very last section. Everything else in the middle is pretty difficult. So Wade, you really got the trial by fire for your, for your first one. I mean, I had blind Bartimaeus. That one's easy. So I, I, I prayed a lot for you in that one. So uh, the thing about Ecclesiastes, though, it is a difficult book to outline and preach because it, it can be a real downer overall. But when you look at it as a whole, it just really shows you the uselessness of earthly meaning and significance. You know, I had two grandfathers that I was lucky to have into my 30s. Both of them passed away after I, long after I turned 30. And both of them were pretty important men where they lived. One lived in Georgia. He was a superior court judge, actually got to make some rulings on the state Supreme Court there. And when he passed away, they closed like 12 miles section of the interstate for his funeral procession. We had uh, lots of big dignitaries, Jimmy Carter, uh, uh, Senator Zell Miller, several others that sent, you know, they didn't come because of security issues, but they sent things. And, and I mean, it was a well-received deal. That was almost 20 years ago now. I go back there quite a bit. My dad bought their house and we use that as a family place. But when I go back there 20 years ago, 30 years ago, People would say, uh, there's Judge Whitmire's grandson. Now, most people don't even know who Judge Whitmire was. My other grandfather had a, a pretty successful business in Giddings and was really well known in town. Um, was very charitable. If you drive into Giddings, once you pass the high school and there's that small Spanish Baptist church there on the right, he and another gentleman actually bought the first building that housed that church up until about 10 years ago when they sold that and built their big church. I went there when they dedicated the new building, and it was probably, I guess, about six years after my grandfather passed away. And they, some of the folks, some of the older folks still knew who he was, but I bet most of the people that go to that church now had never heard of Melvin Turner. And, and it just goes to show you what, what we've talked about throughout this whole book, how what happens here on earth, who we are, the significance, our legacy here on earth is fleeting, is fading. So it, it, it's in the book, we've, we've heard the word vanity several times. If you use the ESV, it's in there about 40 times. But in the Old Hebrew, it was hevel. And hevel meant smoke or vapor. And it goes to show you that what we have here on earth, that's possessions, that's our name, that's you know, who we are, it's just smoke. You can see it, but you can't grab it. You can't hold on to it. You can't take it with you. But it can surround you block your vision, choke you out, and take away who you are in your Christian life. So today we're going we're gonna to sum up Ecclesiastes. I'm going to try to make it pretty painless and try to kind of summarize it a little bit, and then uh, we'll talk about this uh, scripture today. So let's pray first. Dear Lord, thank you for this beautiful day. We thank you for all that you do for us, and thank you for giving us this opportunity to be here and be free to worship you here. Father, I ask that you help me through this sermon today so that I can present your word and help all these folks to take something home with them and take a bit of you with them, too. I thank you for all that you do in our life, and I ask you to watch over folks throughout the world that are 
struggling right now, Christians all over the world that are having a hard time and can't meet like this. We thank you for all that you do, for it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, like I said earlier, I get one of the easier parts to preach out of Ecclesiastes. I know you didn't intend it that way. I'm talking to Matt right at the moment. I know you didn't intend it that way, but thanks, buddy. That was awesome. The overall summary, there's three main points in Ecclesiastes. And if, I, if you're watching on TV, sometimes I'll stroll, and if I'm out of frame, I apologize right now. But the three main points are that there is a march of time that we can't stop. We all end up having, number two, we all end up having to face God. And number three, life just seems random to us, like there is no plan, but there is. When we look at that march of time, I remember uh, it's attributed to Robert Frost, but it's also attributed to the Apocrypha and to a certain saint from like the 13th century or something. But it, 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 Robert Frost, I think, said it best when he said, you know, he can sum up life in three words. It goes on. And it does. It doesn't matter what happens. Our life here on earth goes on. No matter who we lose, no matter what we lose, no matter whether we're rich or poor, it continues to go on. I asked Billy Graham one time when he had his 80th birthday, you know, what was the one thing that surprised him most about life on earth? And I think people expected him to say uh, all kinds of things, like how cool people are or, or, or this, that, or the other. And he said, quite simply, I can't believe how fast time has gone by. One minute he was 20, the next minute he's 70. And I think about that a lot. This year is the 35th anniversary of my senior year in high school football. I didn't get to play, but I was there, and I'm still friends with all those guys. But during homecoming of that year, the 1951 Giddings Buffaloes, don't throw anything, showed up to celebrate the 35th anniversary of their state championship. And I thought on the field as a 17-year-old, man, those guys are old. With the... Looking back in the rearview mirror 35 years now, I realize those guys weren't that old. Nah, they weren't that old at all. As a matter of fact, I still know a couple of them, and there's, I'm going to say right now for the record, y'all still aren't that old, okay? So, but time does go by, and it's so fast, and the fact is that that history fades, and, and we don't think, you know, with everything that's going on this week overseas, I'm not going to get into politics, it's been brought up about you know, what happened in 1965 when Saigon fell. And most people nowadays, the majority, don't even remember it, the majority of people alive today weren't alive when that happened. But for so many of us, I remember watching that on TV. I remember seeing that. But so many people forget that, don't know about it. And that, that history that was so important in 1975 is gone now. We don't even remember it now. So that march of time keeps going on, keeps going on. Twelve years ago, I was getting ready for my son's senior year at football. Go Eagles, Milano. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. It was huge. It was a big deal. It was all-consuming all this time of year. And now, 12 years later, it's like, that's a good memory. But another 12 years from now, and most people won't even remember that. He was so upset because he didn't get into NHS, and his sister did, who was a year younger. And he was second in his class. He finished salutatorian. And he was so upset because he didn't get in. Now, he's a technical director for Broadway plays that travel around the world. What is NHS? But 12 years ago, it was a huge deal to him. So these things that are huge to us right now, the march of time leaves them, you know, as nothing. 
We all face God. That's number two. We do. We all face God. Whether you're rich, you're poor, you're famous, you're not famous, you're important, not important. No matter what, we're all going to face God. We're all going to have to stand in God. That guy that's sitting on death row right now, he's going to face God. The same as, you know, whoever, the Pope or Franklin Graham, President Biden or President Trump or President Obama, all these people, you, me, the people we see that are walking the streets because they don't have a car, we all have to face God. And so it's what we do here on earth. Who we are, how we live our life. Are we living our life for the world or are we living our life for God? Because we're all going to end up facing him. And then lastly, the third point, life seems random. And it does. You know, why does good things happen to bad people? Why do bad things happen to good people? I don't know. I can't explain it. But guess what? Matt can't explain it. The biggest religious figures in our country right now can't explain it. When we die and we go to heaven, we still may not be able to explain it. But it's all a part of a plan. We have no control. When it seems like it's random, it's part of God's plan. A few weeks ago, I guess it's been over a month ago now, Melissa and I were in Georgia for a family reunion. And things were going on in my job. We were merging with a different company, and I was super stressed. I was probably putting in 70-plus hours a week with my job. And we go to Georgia, and it's supposed to be three or four days where she's not concentrating on school. I'm not concentrating on work. We're going to have some time. And I was just overwhelmed by all of this. And she finally, at some point, we pulled up to the house, and she grabbed my arm before we got out of the car, and she said, God's in control. Quit worrying. What's going to happen is going to happen, but God's in control. And she's right. And we all do that every day. School's starting, you know. We have a high school principal in here. How stressful was that the last few weeks, huh? Every year, the same thing. It's super stressful, but God's in control. He knows what he's doing. We don't, and we can't figure that out. I had a friend this week, come, or last week, I guess, came into my office, and Melissa was studying for her boards, and I was sitting in my office doing work, and she came in, and she was really upset. She kind of overloads herself by helping to take care of the elderly in the community, and recently she lost her niece and she just has been very confused and she sat down and she said you know you're you're going to the seminary you should understand this tell me why why does God do this and I told her you know I don't know I don't know you know her niece is a good God-fearing young lady and she passed away from a horrible disease why did God do that to her I don't know why does he allow bad people to, to thrive I don't know you can come up with different scenarios but Quite honestly, I don't know. All I do know is to go to God in prayer, to sit down and talk to him. And so we sat right there in my office, and we prayed. Then it didn't answer her questions. It didn't fix anything, but it made her feel better, and it made her feel closer to God. And that maybe somehow, which it is, if he has a plan, he's working through that incident to help her. The good parts of our lives, the bad parts of our lives, even though the bad parts don't seem like it at the time, they're a blessing from God because he's teaching us something. We're going through something to make us a better person and a better Christian. So the sum, to summarize it is, with all this, we won't understand. We won't understand what's going on. Why does nobody remember my grandfather for all the great things he did? But you know what? Both of those gentlemen were deacons in their churches and were God-fearing men. 
and they're in so much of a better place right now. No matter who remembers them here on earth, they're both in a better place. And that's what we should all be striving for. Depend on God. Let God take care of it. He's got a plan. We just have to be prepared for that. So that's kind of to summarize it. We'll go ahead and do the re- our reading. starts in chapter 12, verse 9. And if you know me, I've said this a million times, I may interpose chapter, verse, book, but we're only going to be in chapter 12, verse 9 through 14. So if later on I say book 12, just know I mean verse 12. It happens. We'll start at 9. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd, my son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment and every secret thing, whether good or evil. So this is a bit of a, in the closing, it's almost a bit of a warning you know, how often are we told what we need to do? How often are we warned? Those are the goads. You know, you go to sheep. I want you to go over here. And that's what the writer's trying to do, is take us to a place where we are a God-centered people. That we are fearing God and living according to his commandments. We can read too much. We can write too much. I have a, a cousin that's pretty well known John knows who I'm talking about. Wade knows who I'm talking about. He's written over 50 books, over 50 books about religion, about you know, theological books. And he's telling me one time he feels like sometimes that maybe he's written too much. Maybe he spent too much time writing books and not enough preaching, not enough reaching out to people. I'd say that he's done a pretty good job, but that's just me. But he worries about that sometimes. Sometimes we spend too much time to where that becomes our central focus. Not God, but studying about God. We should be studying about God to better understand what we should be doing and how to live in God. But sometimes all those things become our main focus. When we do that, we get to that point, like it says in here, where we're weary and we lose track of where we should be. We look for our meaningfulness and our significance on earth. Our meaning and our significant, what should be meaningful and significant to us is God and our following God. Not that new boat, not that new car, not my lawn looks better than your lawn. By the way, my lawn looks terrible, so don't even come by and look at it, okay? But those are the things that we, that we focus on. And those focuses take us off of what's important. And what's important is God. We get so wrapped up in our own lives that we lose track of that. We look at what's going on in Afghanistan. I'm not going to get political about it at all. But you've got women. I, I saw a BBC uh, interview with a veterinarian over there about three weeks ago. And he was a British vet. And he was super proud because he had three 
Afghan females that were, they'd sent to vet school in England. They came back, they were at this big veterinary clinic in Kabul. We don't know what's gonna happen with those women now. You know, they had a future, and in just two short weeks, 11 days, that future is uncertain. And that happens everywhere. On March the 9th of last year, I woke up, it was Monday morning, and for those that don't know, I, work in the, in the, I worked for an oil company in College Station, and I, I wake up every morning. This is where my mind was at the time. I'd wake up every morning, and the first thing I'd look at is oil prices. Next thing I'd look at is the rig count for the United States and for Texas. And then I'd go to answer my emails. Before I even got up and took a shower and got dressed, I got ready to go for work. And on my way into work, I was talking to Melissa, and I told her I was really worried because oil prices that day had dropped 25%. And she asked me what that meant. I said, there's going to be a lot of people around here that lose their jobs. A lot of people. And for the next year, all the way through this last Friday, <laughs> I'd been working because all of a sudden our company that was extremely successful, was we had two drilling rigs, one frack rig. We were blowing and going. And all of a sudden now, we're dead in the water. And we're looking for somebody to buy us and save us. For the last four months, I'd been working on a merger. I felt good about the merger. My job is a specialty job. I thought, yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. But I was working all the time. I'd get calls at 2 in the morning. And I didn't realize how stressed I was. But about three weeks ago on a Monday morning, I went into the office. And our chief operating officer, who's rarely in the College Station office, was there. And he said, hey, we want to talk to you. And all of a sudden, you hear that dun, dun, dun. I mean, not really, but it's in your head. You walked down, and they told me, uh, we're letting everybody go. And I had this great job and, and everything, and, and, and it's gone. And so I went home, and I was pretty depressed, to be honest with you. And Melissa came in and said, okay, well, I told you a few weeks ago God's in charge. So you've got till Wednesday at noon, and at Wednesday at noon, you're done being depressed. No more being upset about it. And so Wednesday at noon, I get a text, Snapchat says, uh, you're done. So I said a prayer, and I, and I put it in God's hands. Over the next few weeks, I had several job offers, some pretty good jobs, really, but it would have been going to Houston, going to Frisco, going to Fort Worth. One was in Denver. Several were in Midland, and I didn't want to do that, so I called a friend, and, and he contacted another guy. And so I'm working in my family office again in Cameron. It's great. I put, normally I would put 200 miles a day on my truck, at least, on average. This week I put 181 miles on my truck. I haven't been to the gas station since last week sometime. It's a miracle. My stress level's nothing. I'm doing some title work and some stuff in my family office. There's just no stress. So even though I enjoyed this, I thought I enjoyed this corporate job, I enjoyed my life in that corporate job, I wasn't. And all of a sudden I realized, man, I can... I can go see my kid in school. You know, I can go do his things. I don't have to be wrapped up into all of this. So basically what I'm saying, though, is that life is that vapor. I'm in this mode. I, 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 I'm something super. And then all of a sudden, God takes it away. He says, where are you now? Are you listening to me or are you listening to yourself? Let's read. I'm going to read 12 and 13 one more time, though. In the end of the matter... All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment and every secret thing, whether good or evil. 
We've been through this whole book of Ecclesiastes, good, bad, ugly, whatever, and in the end, all it's saying is that we are here on earth to have a relationship with God. That's our whole purpose on earth, is to have a relationship with God. And if you miss that, then you miss the purpose of life. Our purpose of life is not to be the best person working in the oil field, not to be the best doctor, not to be the best banker, not to be the best cop, not to do this, not to do that, not to leave some legacy on earth, but it's to have a relationship with God. And you have to ask yourself, do you have a relationship with God? I have a friend that if you were at our wedding last year, when they opened the doors and they played the bridal march, and my wife, soon-to-be wife, should have been standing at the door, two of my best friends of all time came in the door. They were late. Matt looked at me and he said, uh, weren't expecting that, were you? I said, not really, but I'm not surprised by those two. Because they originally were here two hours early. So, But Dana and I had known each other since fifth or sixth grade. We went to Baylor together. I was the goober with the long mullet. I mean, long. Really, it was not really a mullet. It was more like just long hair. And she was the gorgeous girl that played basketball at Baylor. And everybody loved her. About four years ago, she had a wonderful, we thought a wonderful marriage. She had three beautiful daughters and lived in a nice house and was able to do what she wanted to do. And she got cancer. And she went through various fights with it. And it would be in remission and fights with it. And about two years ago, the doctors told her, you're in complete remission. You should never have any more trouble ever again. And she came to the wedding, and she looked great. And about two months later, she went back in the hospital, and it had come back again. She fought it and fought it and fought it. And then in February, they told her that she should be okay. And at the end of February, they told her, those spots that we saw in your brain, those are, those are lesions. And they gave her a year. And so her and Gary, they went, and they saw his kids and, and saw her girls over the course of a week. And they came back home, and the doctors called her back in and told her, you, you don't have that long. If you take treatment, you'll have about six more months. And she didn't want treatment. And so the 1st of April, she, uh, they went to the coast, and everything seemed real, real, real good. And by April the 24th, she was gone. She had everything. Everything that you work so hard in life for, beautiful family, everything, and, and just like that, she's gone. And it just shows us where our priorities are. And this is where her priorities were, because I was broken up by it. And I remember talking to her, and she said this a lot. There's actually a video on her Facebook that says it. She said, Bill, just know this. God's going to heal me here temporarily on earth, or he's going to heal me forever and take me home. And that's what he did. And when there's a lot of people saying, why? She was such a wonderful person. But God has a plan. It taught us all something about what it means to follow Christ. And she was definitely a follower of Christ. So we have a challenge today. And the challenge that I have for you is, in your life, do you want what you need? Or do you need, need what you want? And I think far too many of us, we need 
what we want. And we don't want enough for just what we need. It's a hard concept sometimes, but think about it this way. What in your life replaces time with God? You know, for me, for years, it was football. Anybody that knows me real well, I was on the radio for a long time. Buffalo Bill. I got that because I was in Cameron, and I was the only one that wasn't a Cameron Yeoman. I was from Giddings, so they gave me Buffalo Bill. But I ran with it. It was great. I remember being at a, a big event with a lot of public officials. And this little lady came up to me and she said, uh, Mr. Whitmire, are you Buffalo Bill? And I'm like, yes, ma'am. And she turned around to her table of older ladies and she says, it is him. And all these, I've got a state judge with me and a congressman. And they're like, what is that all about? I said, it's a long story. And for years and years, I did that. Two, at least two college games on Saturday, three pro games on Sunday. Monday night football, Thursday night football, and if there wasn't a high school game to go to, I'd watch Friday night football. If you add that up and just give three hours a game, that's 24 hours of my week that was eaten up with sports. That could have been some of that time, most of that time, all that time should have been dedicated to God. How much time are we wasting on things like that? Two hours of TV a night, it's 14 hours a week that you're giving up to the boob tube when you could be spending it right here in this book. Maybe a little time in prayer. Maybe some time getting out and talking to people. You know, what do we do? What can you give up in your life and spend more time with God? What can you let go of that's really not going to make any difference in the end? You know, do the Dallas Cowboys really care if you watch those three hours? They're still going to play that game. You can still read about it later on. But do they really care if you're watching that game? No. They don't. And they're not going to a year down the road, two years down the road, or when you die either. They're not going to care. Do the Texans? Okay, who watches the Texans anyway? I mean, but do the Texans really care? No. Nobody does. So what is it that you can give up in your life that's really not that important? If you play golf every day of the week, can you give it up one day a week and maybe do something to help? What is it you can do to share God with others? What can you give up that allows you that opportunity to share God with others? And the basic question that all comes down to in Ecclesiastes is, are, are you living a life for yourself, or are you living your life for God? That's what it's trying to tell us, because everything else in your life is just heaven. It's just smoke. It's just a vapor. It's gone. You can collect all these vapors, all this hevel, and when you pass away, it's all gone. But the one thing you can't, the one thing you don't lose when you die here on earth is that relationship with God. Your eternal life started when you were reborn. Right now, you're living the part of your eternal life that's here on earth. Are you living it for God, or are you living it for yourself here on earth? That's the question. So today, if you don't know where you stand with God, Come talk to us. If you're ready to make that commitment to God, come talk to us. I'll be up front. I guess uh, Doc, somebody else will be up here too with me for as a deacon. One of the deacons can come up. If you want to come up, come up. If you want to rededicate your life, rededicate your life. Come up. I'll pray with you. One of the deacons will pray with you. If you'd like to join the church, you can come up and join the church. Not exactly how we'll do that without Matt here, but we'll, we'll get everybody to vote on you that's here. 
Remember, the biggest thing that Satan can do when you want to join a church, when you want to bring your life to church, when you want to walk down here, is it gives you that anxiety, that fear, that, oh, I can't do it. There's so many people watching me. But I've told you this before, and I'll tell you this every time. There's two kinds of people out there watching you. There's the people that want to make that trip down the aisle too and don't feel comfortable doing it, have that anxiety, have Satan fighting them over it. And then there's the people that have already made that trip. And guess what? Every one of them is going to be cheering you on. There shouldn't be anybody out there that will say, what's that idiot doing? They're either going to be wanting to be like you, or they've already been there and they're cheering you on. So today when we have our hymn of decision here in just a second, please, if you feel like you want to come forward, come forward. We're here for you. Let's pray.